Hi, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. My name is Mario Paziga. Um, I just want to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nation whose land we broadcast from today. Um, so today we'll be discussing the experiences of disabled people of colour um, and the lack of representation, so not just broadly in society, but also in disability rights movements themselves. Um, to do this, I'm lucky to be joined by two amazing guests. First up is non-fiction and fan-fiction writer C.B. Marco. Winner of the Grace Marion Wilson Emerging Writers Competition and shortlisted for the Overland Fair Australia Prize, Cubby has appeared in various publications and has also performed as an artist and panellist at the Emerging Writers Festival, Digital Writers Festival, Melbourne Fringe Festival and Melbourne Writers Festival. Uh, welcome, Cubby. Thank you for inviting us. Hi, hello, Mario. Also with us in the studio is Pauline Vatuna. Pauline is a Black Pacific Islander writer and blogger based in Nam. Um, welcome, Pauline, and thank you to both of you for being here. Thanks for having us. So representation is something that we hear a lot about in the disability community. So, for example, there are calls for disabled people to be given more platforms in the media and so on. Um, but the face of disability has itself been severely lacking in diverse voices and perspectives. Um, you're both active in working towards the rights of disabled people. What have been your experiences of people of colour in the disability community um, and also in activist spaces? Um, okay, I'll go first. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pauline here. Um, I have to say there's two things that come up for me in terms of my experiences within specifically disability activist and advocacy spaces, and they are erasure and racial aggression. Um, my interpersonal experiences in um, advocacy spaces have been uh, varied and mixed, but one thing that has remained constant and uh, that I've noticed over the years is the general whiteness of these spaces. So um, you wouldn't expect an activist space in activist spaces to encounter, say, microaggressions or even overt aggression from from white disabled people, but I've had a number of those experiences. Um, so that's been one thing that I've experienced. The other thing is also just basically just erasure, not seeing uh, people of colour with disabilities in uh, positions of power within organisations that are created to uh, serve us or serve our interests, not seeing uh, people of colour given platforms um, to talk about uh, disability rights and, you know, the rights of neurotypical people. Mm. Um, so th those are the two things that come to mind in particular. But I, um, I also want to point out that I guess because of my early experiences uh, in, you know, very white disability ad advocacy spaces um i in general have gone on this sort of process of kind of decolonization that i continue to be on mm. and healing from a lot of racial trauma kind of pushed me towards uh uh black spaces predominantly black spaces and spaces for people of color but um these spaces despite the fact that they are spaces that aim to be inclusive of people of color and center people of color and, and and black folks, um, I encounter, you know, marginalization within those quote unquote safe spaces as well, mm. 
uh, because of, uh, you know, the lack of awareness and plain ignorance uh, quite often about the disability intersection. Mm. So it's a, it's a weird position for people of colour, for black folks, for Indigenous folks with disabilities because pretty much everywhere we turn, we're going to be unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I advise queer as well. Yeah. I've experienced the same thing in queer spaces. Mm. So it's interesting that the, even all of the spaces that are set up to be safe for me um, at one point or another have not been because of, um, you know, quote-unquote, what they call blind spots. I hate that term, but um, basically uh, people not recognising what they can't see, yeah. um, which to me um, intersectionality addresses, but I'll talk about that more yeah. later. Yeah. I second that. Um, the spaces for um, disability is very white in Australia. Um, my platform is um, in activism is on Twitter, and I write nonfiction and creative nonfiction. I've submitted pieces and have pieces been published on on my invisible disability. Um, white spaces are there, and um, yeah, when people want to refer on say mental health issues, they've got a certain person to go to, and usually mm -hmm. it's a. A white person, a white author, and if it's a depression, it's again, it's there's this person that they have to go to all the time. Like, hey, we exist, we're here. Um, so when we have, um, you know, we we have voices, we we need platform as well. And unfortunately, there are the default spaces and not acknowledging that um, people like us exist. So. Mm -hmm. Um, Mario, we are very grateful to have this this kind of platform for us because, um, yeah, make the programmers aware that people of color um, with disability and invisible disability um, are here in Australia. Yeah. And, and I think we were talking just before off air, just around the people don't actually make the effort to try and find people of colour that can speak and do have different perspectives? Yeah, because, again, uh, the mainstream narrative is um, the default is uh, either one, white, and only two, ableist. <laughs> so uh, we're not, or if they include disability, uh, uh, diversity, disability is usually at the last of their mm. tick boxes, quote unquote, and then within that disability box it has is usually a white person uh, a comp an example is an artwork of say victoria women's trust and and you can see there there's a whole bunch of women in the artwork and but then the person who's disabled in a wheelchair is a white person so that's apparently the default what's happening so we'd like to ra raise that awareness yeah. that yeah go beyond what's the normal default narrative yeah you're listening to chronically chilled on 3cr my name is mario um today i've got 
Cubby and Pauline Vertuna joining me, and we're talking about the experiences of um, disabled people of colour. Um, so because the voices of disabled people of colour are rarely privileged and represented, um, people also then don't hear about the specific issues and challenges faced um, by people. So are you able to talk a little bit about some of these? Okay, so um, in my area, which is among uh, people of colour, uh, Asian dia diaspora, uh, they have this thing that they call the model migrant, or um, there is this migrant creed, quote-unquote, <laughs> that we are supposed to follow. So um, if you put all, uh, say, a whole group of um, people of color in one room, say all are artists or writers, mm -hmm. there usually are the able-bodied, the young, the child-free, the intelligentsia, the, the, the best of the best. And apparently when you put them all together, there's no room for disability. Like they have to be the perfect, perfect uh, migrant mm -hmm. um, to represent, uh, yeah, the voice. But yeah, and we're we're left out from that discussion. So when you when we raised like I can't hear you, I have hearing problems. They think we're acting up. Like you're just making a joke, and the reply is usually very sarcastic or. Um, or for example, um, I, I think too slow or because um, I've got mental health issues, they think again, you know, you're just faking it, you know, um, and again, the, the non-acceptance among people of color on disability, it's also another area to consider and yeah, very ableist spaces as well. So yeah, just... Um, I thought about this and I just, I, I guess I just want to say that disabled people of colour essentially face all of the issues and the barriers that white disabled people do, mm. and then some. <laughs> it's sort of, it's it's really just a complication of all of the issues that, that white disabled people are experiencing, but even more because uh, we're talking about... Um, two forms of systemic oppression intersecting. Yes. Um, so I, I do kind of want to talk a bit more about intersectionality yeah. in the Australian context because it's totally. really important to the erasure of uh, people of okay. colour with disabilities, yeah. even in discussions about intersectionality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to me... Um, well, I mean, I, I guess I should start by sort of explaining to the person listening who doesn't know what intersectionality means um uh it's like, essentially it was like a intersectionality itself is a is a term coined by kimberly crenshaw who's a critical race um theory, one of the leading critical race theorists and scholars coming out of the united states she's african-american mm -hmm. and she coined the term um when she, uh when she was looking at how african-american women specifically are disadvantaged in the law because they experience racism and they experience sexism, but uh, the law didn't recognise their unique experience of it when those two things intersect. Mm. So that's where the term came from. Um, over time, it's come to mean um, various kinds of systemic oppression intersecting and how they 
intersect to make certain individuals who live with multiple marginalised identities, mm. how they become more vulnerable in society because they experience multiple forms of oppression at the same time. Mm. Um, I bring this up because um, I have seen too many white disability activists on panels in writing and in important forums discussing intersectionality specifically without discussing whiteness and white privilege mm -hmm. and without discussing the origin of the term intersectionality and without citing Quimbley Crenshaw. Mm. So That's so true. It's yeah. So uh, this happens all the time. I've seen so many uh, self-described intersectional disabled uh, feminists or yeah. activists um, who are white who will discuss what the theory is without ever discussing the black woman who coined the term. And this is a serious problem because the erasure of black women in academia and the erasure of their knowledge production and the undermining of their knowledge production mm. is pervasive um, to the point where there is a movement called Citing Black Women. Mm. You can find them on Twitter. Yeah, you can yeah. find their website. They also have a podcast. Um, they are able to talk every week about... Uh, the importance of citing black women and why it's so necessary. Um, so keeping that in mind, I think it's really problematic when disabled white feminists, you know, even though they experience that specific intersection or even the intersection of queerness. I've seen a lot of queer disabled uh, activists who, uh, who are white who also describe themselves as intersectional activists and feminists. All of them erase Kimberly Crenshaw when they're mm. discussing intersectionality. Mm. That's mm. wild to me. Um, and so I'll give you an example. There was a couple, I've forgotten what month it was last year, but the Sydney Opera House mm. had a panel um, on intersectionality and feminism. There were three panellists. All of them were white, disabled women. And the... Uh, moderator was a well-known um, white feminist, um, an activist. And I want to stress that I have respect for all of the women who are on that panel. But again, intersectional panel, the, mo the moderator is a white feminist, uh, able-bodied, uh, heteronormative mm. woman. And... All three panelists are white women. There's something very yeah. wrong there. And anybody who actually understood what intersectionality was about would have seen the problem in the programming. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also if they had consulted people of colour, we could have told them very quickly the problem with that programming. Incredible platform. I, I, you know, I've watched that talk several times. I really like it in very mm. various respects, but the racial blind spots are so apparent. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, panelists, um, I believe it was Catherine Aeneas. Yeah, Catherine Anea. I really respected the fact that she did acknowledge, you know, at, a, at, at certain points in the talk, the how problematic it is for white people to be talking about people of colour. Mm. But then that was it. Like... Mm. That was it. There was no 
further discussion. And of course, there was no further discussion because there's no people of color there to unpack that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and all of the people who asked questions at the end of the talk were also white people. So uh, serious problems there. Mm. Um, again, respect the work of all of the women who are on that panel. Um, but this is a really serious problem and it leads to the erasure of people of colour, even within discussions about intersectionality. Yeah. It seems like it's something that just gets thrown around a lot but doesn't always get practised very well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost like a badge of honour, what people claim. It is. I think more broadly it is, but I, mm. what I see specifically in disability advocacy is a lot of white women specifically describing themselves as intersectional feminists mm. and at no point acknowledging their whiteness or privilege in a serious way, mm. in thoughtful way, and centering themselves in conversations that perhaps they should be instead uh, opening doors for other people to enter those conversations. So apart from panels, let's say, for example, in an anthology, um, do you want... A, a, there's this anthology I saw last year. So there's this um, one person for mental health, one person who is of um, LGBTQI um, representative, one person of color or one woman of color. So you could see there's the ticking, uh, ticking the boxes. boxes. And then when it came for mental health and and this or disabled person, it was again a white person to tick those boxes mm. because yeah there's only one spot for person or or one or two spots for person of color and woman of color and the rest are um heteronormative white cis people and uh, in the in the anthology so there's only one spot so that's there you go that's yeah. that, that's their answer mm -hmm. so they don't Again, we're raising the awareness. We're here. We we have writers of color or disabled. Um, just, you know, you could mentor us. We're here. Help us. <laughs> give us a platform. You can, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to yeah. add, we're not just people with lived experience. We're people who are fairly well educated on mm. the stuff, even if not institutionally. Mm. We, out of necessity, are very well educated mm. on the stuff. So we could speak yes. to these issues. Yeah. And um, one of the things, going back to that panel that I mentioned about the Sydney Opera House, Catherine Enney is, again, a scholar that I really respect, um, also acknowledged the fact that there's a certain level of privilege to being in that circuit mm. and to being continuously invited to, these, uh, to speak at these events and having the capacity to travel there. Mm. I know a lot of people of colour with disabilities, us included, <laughs> including us who wouldn't be able to do that totally. um, and um, who have been locked out of the job force and, you know, have experienced all of these things because of our intersectional experiences. Yeah. Um, but we are erased from conversations about intersectionality. Absolutely. It doesn't make any sense. Yep. Yeah, and I feel like... I feel like um, so when we think of representation, you usually talk about kind of the finished product where, and I'm thinking about the panel you've just talked about, it's actually true representation should be in the background as well mm. in, in you know, talking to people of colour about mm. 
kind of these issues and stuff. Absolutely. So it should the be producers. throughout the whole thing to producing, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I want to make another point about that Sydney Opera House panel. Um, you can tell that I've watched it many times. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought when I first saw it, I, I felt I didn't know that it happened at the time. I I saw it on YouTube a couple of months later and I saw the, the title of it and I thought, oh, okay, interesting. And I clicked on it and I was like, oh, <laughs> this again. You know, it was yeah. really, it was a bummer. And yeah. I want to say that um, Samantha Connor was one of the uh, panellists uh, on that day. Um, you know, incredible activist, works tirelessly um, for, you know, disability, various disability rights issues. Um, but she talked about Destroy the Joint, which mm. is an Australian feminist mm. project to document violence against women. Mm. And she was talking about it because she had um, quite a serious confrontation with that organisation um, a few years back um, because she, given what they do, she was trying to engage them to help her promote the White Flower Memorial, which is an annual memorial for um, people with disabilities who have died in institutional care, um, in detention and in domestic care situations. And Sam was told to go advertise that specific event in disability forums because um, it wasn't a women's issue, essentially, mm. which is wild um, and not true. Um, but the first person she spoke to had destroyed the joint that was their response and further responses were really bad she got blocked from uh continuing a dialogue with them on facebook it was bad and it was messy and you know obviously that was very very wrong um and uh she one of the points that she made is that it's wrong because you know Disabled women, and specifically women with intellectual disabilities, they actually experience a higher rate of, of violence and sexual abuse and sexual assault than, quote-unquote, you know, than people who are not um, disabled or who have intellectual disabilities. And so she made the point that it's really important to give them prominence in, in these kinds of movements and in these, you know, um, kinds of moments. And... I thought it was interesting because essentially that's not that's what's not happening in you know disability advocacy mm. that purports to be intersectionality. It mm. should be centering people who experience you know the most extreme forms of marginalisation because they have to deal with white supremacy mm. um, and colonisation as well as disability, but that is absolutely not happening. Mm. So in social media, to um, because if diversity and intersectionality are quite common terms that you've mentioned, um, there are other hashtags that we use in social media and Twitter particularly is um, hashtag disability so white. So I raised that or hashtag representation matters. So we use that as well. Um, also, in going back to... Um, apart from panels, in genre conventions, when they include, say, um, diversity, okay, we'll have people of color, but they stop there, or LGBTQI community, they stop there, and they don't even include disability. So um, I've seen, I've been to, uh, I've attended a few genre conventions, and 
there was not even disability in their program. So, yeah, so that's diversity. We're usually not included even. If it's included, it's why. If it's not included, we're totally not included. Yeah, Yeah. and I remember talking about that hashtag, I remember seeing a short clip once on, I've forgotten what hashtag it was. It was one, probably one of the ones you just mentioned. And uh, it was a short clip of uh, a black woman who's disabled, who has a physical disability and uses a wheelchair. And she was taking a selfie video and crying and just explaining why she was crying, which is that she was invited to speak at an all-black uh, panel at a, um, I think it was Comic-Con Light or one of these, one of these conventions. Um, United States, yes. Yeah, a fandom convention. And she was invited to speak at a panel and it wasn't accessible. So she couldn't participate. She traveled of quite a long way. It's very rare for disabled women and specifically disabled women of our black women of color mm. to be to have platforms at those kinds of events. So it was devastating for her and it was so sad to, to see that. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is the sort of stuff that happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Today I've got... Um, Cubby and Pauline Vertuna joining me and we're talking about the experiences of um, disabled people of colour um, and also around representation. So um, do you think the experiences faced by disabled people of colour are kind of similar around the world or are there issues that are specific to Australia such as you know the ongoing oppression faced by Indigenous community for example? I would say I mean for the purposes of this conversation um I personally would only compare Australia to white settler colonies Mm. like Canada, for example, in the United States, because sort of the program that's sort of operating um, in many ways is the same. We've got a situation where there's been dispossession and genocide for First Nations peoples Mm. to make way for majority white colonies. We've got, you know, the enslavement of black people brought to those colonies, which happened in Australia too. Um, Google blackbirding. Um, We have, you know... Uh, tightly controlled immigration of people of colour in the settler colony and, you know, we had the White Australia policy in Australia. Um, All of the colony, the settler colonies, had very strict controls on non-white immigration. Mm. Um, So there's there's real historical links between all of the the nations and contemporary links as well. I mean, there's a reason why we consume so much Canadian and, and, you know, North American pop culture. It's because Mm. we do share you know, a lot of similarities mm. and um, have the those nation states have been through similar processes, mm. even though they are obviously very different countries. So I personally, when, when talking about this, I locate myself as a, uh, you know, migrant settler in a settler colony because yeah. it's, it's very hard to make comparisons with any other kind of mm. country, including, you know, European countries mm. who have their own specific experiences as well um i would say that um it's interesting because given that i can listen to the experiences of of people with disabilities in those countries and specifically people of color with disabilities in those countries and actually relate to a lot of the social and cultural ableism that they're experiencing Mm -hmm. and we can have these you know, online conversations and have these hashtags and have these incredible 
conversations yes, yes. and make these connections because there are so similarities in a social and cultural sense. You know, obviously all of these countries have very different legal frameworks and laws pertaining to the rights of people with disability. They have different public policies. Mm. Activists are fighting, you know, the nitty gritty um, specifics of policy is going to be different in every country. But the broad socio-cultural landscape and the ableism that is pervasive in that um, is, is the same in many respects. So I find it really exciting to... Uh, follow these hashtags and to now specifically in in the last probably last nine months especially finding uh, people online and groups online in other countries that are doing really exciting things and Mm -hmm. that sort of is inspiring me to do more with people of color with disabilities in this context yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um speaking of the asian diaspora um they are Unfortunately, there are no direct translations. I've written about is um there were, there are no direct translations of say of words like mental health mm-hmm. or depression and uh, many many traditional families who have disabled kids or children would hide their their kids because of um, quote unquote uh, say karma and shaming the family honor and mm-hmm. all those things. Um, if I were in, say, in my, uh, I would tell my, my parents who are in overseas and say, I've got this, this, and this, they would say, hey, I'll pray over you and so that your depression would go away or or your kid's Down syndrome would go away, let's say uh, several novenas. So it's, for them, it's like a, punishment from God or mm. say um, uh, those things and you've done something in your past life so it's a very traditional um, point of view because the words that we use say autism or Down syndrome or mental health, depression these are all white words, these are English words mm. how do you translate them into the local language and, and sometimes it's not a direct translation and it's usually uh, the connotation or the, the translation is negative and um, there are people who uh, of uh, people of color who even uh, sent Twitter messages privately to me and say Cubby I can't I can't share my my disability out there because um, yeah it's it's how it is being part of the Asian diaspora so unfortunately there are who can't say who can't yeah, but um, we're here <laughs> saying it out loud what we have, <laughs> disrupting the narrative. So, yeah, we with the NDIS, there is help um, in the West. I have to mention that the rollout in the West of Melbourne has started October 2018. So we are seeing that um, a disruption in a different way, in a good way, so. So let's say, for example, in the school called Sunshine Harvester, their language other than English is Auslan. So Australian Sign Language, uh, that's that's our second language at home. Or, um, yeah, so you, you can see that there is there is good and there's the negative side. So, um, yeah, who would think that, yeah, there's Auslan and in the middle of a suburb in, in Sunshine, but there is in... They're doing inclusiveness in that school, in mainstream school. That means 
um, kids with disabilities, um, learning disabilities, physical disabilities are there uh, with with other kids, normal kids, and they act really re uh, interacting pretty well. They sign each other and they treat each other pretty well and respect each other fabulously. So yeah, there's there, there are positive yeah. yeah things happening as well. That's really hopeful to hear, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've both talked about this kind of during this conversation, but what does the disability community need to do to truly include the voices of people of colour that, you know, is meaningful and promotes the agency of people, um, and not just people, but also communities? Mm. Um, I Okay, when we're talking about the disability community, I want to say what I mean when I am talking about it mm. In this interview specifically, yeah, yeah. so in the, I guess when I'm I'm going to use the term disability community, community, but I really am talking specifically about uh, disabled people who subscribe to the social model of disability mm. and intersectionality because I feel um, you know a lot of my networks now there are all activists and advocates and and people with quote-unquote progressive politics, although I hate that word, um, yeah, who essentially are looking uh, to be a part of a movement for progressive change on multiple fronts. Mm. Um, but I feel like our house is not in order. Um, so I focus my energies there. Um, in terms of the disability community, again, speaking of people who would consider themselves advocates or activists, mm or who subscribe to the social model intersectionality, um, I think it's really important to understand that uh, uh, there's, a, there's an erasure happening. As I said earlier, um, there's an erasure happening that, that needs to be addressed and urgently um, because... Uh, a lot of people are being left out of the conversation, mm. and I think it's it's well it's it's harmful. It's harmful to our communities. It's harmful to us. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, started really well, it essentially coalesced. It, I think it was in 2016. You know, a number of things happened um, that year, and the the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, started to to foment and grow, and at that time, uh, you know, the the movement uh, put together like a six point plan or something like yeah. that, and they put on put out what was essentially a mission statement, and uh, black disabled activists uh, called them out because that statement did not include uh, people with disabilities or neurotypical people. It they were very noticeably omitted. Um, they acknowledged probably every other intersection almost, but that was the one that they didn't acknowledge. And obviously, you know, disabled uh, black folks have always been part of the movement for civil rights. There have been so many civil rights leaders who were disabled. So that was, you know, an affront to the, the black disabled community and they were vocal about it. Um, and I remember uh, I went back to, to find their call out <laughs> And I found <coughs> out uh, the exact statement that Black Lives Matter had put together. So this is the original statement. It was, we believe in elevating the experiences 
and leadership of the most marginalised black people, we are intentional about amplifying the particular experience of state and gendered violence that black queer, trans, gender non-conforming women and intersex people face. There can be no liberation for all black people if we do not centre and fight for those who have been marginalised. It is our hope that by working together to create and amplified, amplify a shared agenda, we can continue to move towards a world in which the full humanity and dignity of all people is recognised. So that was the, the statement that they put out. Obviously, disabled people are not on there. Yeah. Um, but I thought, I, I read that statement and then obviously there's a lot of wording in there that is problematic and that could be tweaked. But I, I thought, okay, what if we improve the wording a little bit and we change the wording to include disabled and neurotypical people of colour, um, but we make it about disabled, a disabled movement statement, an intersectional disabled movement statement. So it would be something like, we believe in elevating the experiences and leadership of the most marginalised, disabled and neurotypical people. We are intentional about amplifying the particular experience of state and gendered violence that First Nations, stateless, black people and people of colour, queer, trans, gender non-conforming, women and intersex people face. There can be no liberation for all disabled people if we do not centre and fight for those who have been marginalised. It is our hope that, the that by working together to create and amplify a shared agenda, we can continue to move towards a world in which the, few, the full humanity and dignity of all people is recognised. So a couple of tweaks in that statement that I read out. Um, but if more people who subscribe to the social model disability and intersectionality actually apply that ethic, mm. we would be in a much better place and our movement mm. would be stronger. Mm. People of colour fight hard. We've always had to. Mm. So by erasing us from the movement, they don't realise it, but they're actually stalling progress on disability rights. They really are. Um, so in my idea for not to be uh, in the tokenistic position is a theory or a, a concept that Michelle Cahill raised called interceptionality, um, in which we write, we intercept um, uh, people, their structures, their policies, and tell them, hey, please include this, 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 and this. This mm -hmm. is what you're doing. Please can you do this? Write a complaint, do an email, do the legwork. Um, a real life example for me doing that, that I wasn't be tokenized, was that um, when the programmers of the Digital Writers Festival, I was in a panel of three, invited for a panel of three. I was the only person of color. So I told them, you know, to balance it out, and it's about disability, let's include another person of color. So, and the people at uh, emerging writers festival listen for the digital writers festival and we we came out we were four of us and the conversation was balanced so no one had to carry uh, yeah carry that burden of 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 disability all by oh yeah as a person of color by himself or himself and then um also there was this right uh, another local festival what they did for people of color they put everyone in one panel mm -hmm. okay so that was the opening uh 
program or their, their inaugural program. And then the disability, because there were already in that one panel, all four people of color, no one else was in the other panel anymore for disability. So when they thought about disability, and they did include, I don't think they included people of color there because everyone else was already on the other diversity panel. Oh. So again, it's a matter of uh, making programmers aware, hey, if you're going to put a disability <laughs> into your pro your um, literary festival, your arts festival, or, um, or whatever event, include us. Please include people of color as well. So it's, yeah, that's, that's another local concept that we have, intersectionality by Michelle Cahill. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's something that we have to practice mm. at necessity all the time. But I want yeah. to acknowledge that because it's a lot of labor. It mm. is. It's a lot of labor and, you know, women of color have to do it on multiple fronts. So Many it's, it's, it's doubly exhausting and it shouldn't be incumbent upon us to do that. So I really want to encourage any white disabled people listening who are resonating with this conversation at all, please step up, step up, speak up so we're not the only ones who do are doing this. Mm -hmm. If you see a panel where people are being arranged, if you see any kind of platform where people are being arranged, erased, then speak up please, so that we're not the only ones constantly doing this labor. Yeah. Um, we're coming to the end of this um, conversation, but I just wanted to give you both an opportunity to kind of have any last thoughts or final thoughts, if there's anything that's kind of resonating. I just want to thank you again, because uh, I was really looking forward to this conversation. It's a shame that our friend Hannah couldn't be mm. here, who's a um, who would have had incredible insights into yes. from a First Nations perspective, but uh, it's it's really important this conversation, and uh, I don't see any platforms for it really. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mary, for giving us the platform. Not um, not all platforms give us this, or there are not many platforms available for us um, to discuss this kind of topic. So this is very refreshing for us, and it's really good. Thank you so much. I, it's not that hard. You know? <laughs> like, it's not hard. <laughs> I appreciate what you're saying, but it's actually not hard to do. Yeah, yeah. but it's more, It's I, I guess it's just in terms of, I mean, making a decision to allow access. Mm. I, it's yeah. Again, it's not hard, yeah. but people aren't doing it. Yeah. So mm. when it does happen... We're appreciative. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. the structures are basically um, ableist, let's say, whether for design, arch architecture, transportation, um, it's all for the for the ableist person. So, um, yeah, this is this is something that needs needs to be heard. And yeah, cutting through the uh, the white narrative and. Yeah, interrupt, disrupting. Yeah, yeah making a disruption on your everyday lives. Yeah, yeah we exist. We're here. Okay. <laughs> I also just wanted to give you both an opportunity um, just to let listeners know where they can follow you and if there's any work that um, you can point them towards. Um, my platform is on Twitter. I'm Cubbyberry there. I also have an Instagram at cb cb.malco um my web i 
think my blog is um, mercurialmum.wordpress.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My I just go by my name, which is probably unwise. I should have <laughs> done a secret account or something. But it's just my name, Pauline Vituna. Um, I'm on Twitter. You'll easily find me. Um, and you can find a link to my blog from my Twitter profile. Um, I've, I'm just reviving my blog now. Um, I attended a uh, the Imagining Abolition conference last year, and I took quite a bit of audio and uh, had, I made quite a lot of observations about that conference. So I thought this would be a good way to start blogging again. I've been on hiatus for personal and health reasons. Yeah. Um, so I'll be, you know, more seriously writing and putting my thoughts and yeah. words out there this year. Great. Um, I'll put all the links in the show notes as well for the podcast um, so people can find all that information there as well. Um, I just want to thank you both again for coming. Um, it's been fantastic to, to sit and to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you.